What brings us together is not that we are all the same. What brings us together is not that we're all the same socioeconomically. What brings us together is that not that we're all the same racially or politically. What brings us together as the people of God is the Son of God to come together in His name, to worship His name, to lay aside all other things to be who He has called us to be, to be the church that is living out and building up the kingdom of God in this world. That's why we're here. That's what we're about. It's not about programs and about methods. It's not about likes and dislikes. All of that seems to need to die when we walk into the fellowship of believers because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It is the oneness of Christ that makes us who we are and what we do. And what we do and how effective we are in doing it depends on how intimate we are in our relationship with Christ. If we're walking in communion with Him, in fellowship with Him, in a relationship with Him that is abiding and growing, that affects who we are. That impacts our influence on this community, on this region, and on the world. When I was uh, saved during the days of the Jesus Movement, uh, Gary Paxton did a song uh, called Evidence. And the line was a very familiar line. A lot of us used it when we were sharing the gospel with people. And somebody would say, well, I'm a member of so-and-so church. Or I'm a Baptist. Or I'm a Methodist. Or I'm a Presbyterian. Or I'm this or I'm that. But this is how we would, we didn't have evangelism methods so much then. We just knew we were supposed to talk to people about Jesus. And so this is the question that we learned to ask. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Are we living out on a daily basis the Christ life? The abiding life that Christ talks about. Christ called us to follow Him, to come to Him, and to follow Him, and to abide in Him. And it is in coming to Him, and following Him, and abiding in Him that we find the power to do what He's called us to do. But there, it all begins with one thing. The text that was shared on the bumper just a, a minute ago is our text, but, but really I want to back up into chapter uh, 10 and talk about the purpose that is given to us in Luke chapter 10. It's a phenomenal chapter. Uh, Jesus sends out these followers to go announce the kingdom, and they come back and they, they're basically like, hey, Jesus, you told us to go out and serve you and share about you, and, and, and man, even the demons are tremble at your name. They were surprised that God works. And they were really impressed at what they had done. And so they came back to brag and to give their report. Even the demons are subject to your name. But Jesus gives them a reality check in verse 20 of Luke 10. Do not rejoice in this. And no, don't rejoice that these things are happening. 
that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Here's what Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples. It's not activity, it's relationship that I'm looking for. You can be busy and not be a blessing. You can be busy at church stuff and not be doing what I need you to do. You can have things out of order. So he, he has this encounter, then you drop down to, to uh, verse 25, and there's this Q&A that goes on, this interview with a lawyer. He's, he's put Jesus on trial a little bit to see if he can find out some answers to some questions. But he asks a core question. He asks an eternal question. He asks a life question. Verse 25, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, how do I get to God? Teacher, that's all he acknowledged him as, is a teacher. How do I get to God? How do I get to know God? How do I get eternal life? How do I get to heaven when I die? And Jesus says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said in the cat paraphrase, and that's about it, bud. Can you figure that one out? Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Now, he follows that with the story of the Good Samaritan. And so what follows in Luke chapter 10 is an application of the second commandment before he deals with the first commandment. So he deals with the second first and the first second in his stories that he writes and puts around this encounter with this lawyer. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Now why does he start there? He starts there because you can tell a lot about how much somebody loves God by how they treat their neighbor. If you want to know if a person's a Christian or just a church member and just religious, see how they treat their neighbor. You want to know about somebody's walk with God. You want to know about somebody, if they understand the Great Commission, if they understand the Great Commandment, if they understand the things of God, then see how they treat their neighbor. And of course, we're always going, well, who is my neighbor? Is that just the person that lives on each side of me? No. Your neighbors are people that are in your flow of life, where you work, where you go to school, the people you meet at the grocery store, at the, at the drugstore, the people you meet when you're out shopping, the people that help you, that serve you, that work with you, the people in your neighborhood. I mean, I, I pray every day for five people in my neighborhood, by name for five homes in my neighborhood until I pray around 100 homes in my neighborhood. It takes me 20 days to do it. Every five day, I'm praying for five names of my neighbors because I want a heart for them that God has for them. I want to love my neighbor as myself. I don't want it just to be about me. I want it to be about them, not just about me. And so Jesus tells this story about the Good Samaritan to say, if you really want to know what kind of religion you've got, what kind of relationship you've got with God, are you the guy that passes by on the other side of the road? Or are you the person that reaches down and helps the person that's in the ditch? Which one are you? And then he goes to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home, and that's where we pick up in verse 38. And I want you to mark 
three or four words here because we're not going to read it again, but I want you to mark three or four words. Verse 38, Martha welcomed him. In other words, hers was a home where Jesus felt welcome. He felt wanted and he felt welcome. He was comfortable in her home. This was not a strange place for him. This was not an awkward situation for her. He was welcomed in her home. But in verse 40, she was distracted. He's welcomed, but she's distracted by all these other things. And then in verse 41, Jesus speaks to her and he says, You are worried and bothered. Worried and bothered. Martha, you're a little uptight. You're a little stressed out. You'd kind of chill a little bit. So let's look at some misplaced priorities. And all of us, at some point, some season, some day, some week, maybe some decade of our lives, have had misplaced priorities. We've done the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. Or we've made level two become level one. And we've amped up the wrong things in our lives and stressed over things that we can't change and we can't fix. And all of a sudden, what happens is we've missed the best moments. I used to say to people when when our kids were little, and I, I rearranged my schedule to make sure that I could make all the basketball games and football games that, that Aaron cheered at and the basketball games that Haley played at because they're only going to be that age once. You know, when, when they're 17 and want to drive and leave you behind, you can't come back and say, hey, can we do two over again? Because that day's gone. And in the desire to make more, to be more, to have more, sometimes we neglect the great priorities of our life. That's our faith in our family. So she had misplaced priorities. But she also had unrealistic expectations. I mean, we have unrealistic expectations. I mean, I'm a a high D kind of person, and so sometimes I have unrealistic expectations about myself, and sometimes I, I... force those unrealistic expectations on other people if they don't do what I think they ought to do. Now, I know none of you have ever done that, but I have, and so I've confessed it, and I feel better now. I just provided my own counseling session. There's a little booklet out that the Navigator's printed called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And in that book, the author says that people think if they had 30 hours a day, they could get everything done. But this is what he says. But would a 30-hour day really solve the problem? Wouldn't we soon be just as frustrated as we are now with our 24-hour allotment? Our dilemma, what goes deeper than shortage of time, is basically the problem of priorities. So here's Martha. She's got misplaced priorities. She's put supper over the Savior. She's put supper over the Savior. She's put her stuff over spending time with Jesus. She's a doer. She's an organizer. She's welcomed Christ into her home. She's hospitable. But now she's distracted. And so she's got these misplaced priorities, and then she's got these unrealistic expectations. Now, she had unrealistic expectations in three areas. First of all, for Mary, her sister. Now, Mary was a different kind of personality. 
it's kind of obvious when you read the story of these, if you can kind of read between the line a little bit, she was a little different. She was a little more mellow, a little calmer. She was not the outgoing. She was more contemplative kind of person. But Martha is ticked off at her sister. Any of you got brothers and sisters? You ever been ticked off at them? You ever tattled on them? Did you ever throw them under the bus, back it up, and throw them under the bus again? I mean, that's, that's siblings. As my dad said, son, be glad you're an only child. I said, great, nobody to blame but me. So she's, she's ticked off about her sister. Hey, Jesus, Mary is not helping me. I need help. There are things to be done. I need you to tell her to help me. So she's upset with Mary, her sister. But she's also upset with Jesus. Lord, don't you care? She's upset with Jesus. Now, let's just be honest. So, you know, we're, this is free therapy, okay? Let's just be honest. We can say the problem in our life is our brother, our sister, our husband, our wife, our family, our employer, our job, our city, our house, all that kind of But when it really gets down to it, sometimes the problem is not the thing we're complaining about. The problem is we're mad at the Lord. And we're upset with the Lord. And the reason we're upset with the Lord is because he's not doing what we want him to do the way we want him to do it. What we would like to do is send a quick text message to heaven and say, Lord, if you do the following three things in the next five minutes, my life would be a lot easier. And we wonder why he doesn't reply to the text. You see, we, we can get upset with the Lord. It's not that the Lord doesn't care about what's happening to us. It's just that you and I can get on a different agenda and a different plan than the Lord is on, and he's got another plan. He's got something else in mind besides what you have in mind, and he's not going to let you have your way because he knows if you get your way, it's not the best thing for you. So sometimes he answers prayer by saying yes. Sometimes he answers prayer by saying no. And sometimes he answers prayer by saying, wait. And sometimes he answers prayer by saying, you got to be out of your mind. I don't know about you, but I'm glad God has not answered every prayer I've prayed the way I wanted it. Looking back with better vision, I see that some of the things I wanted were not best for me. They were not his best for me. So she's a little ticked off at the Lord. She's upset with him. Lord, don't you care? I mean, you can smell the food, can't you? Don't you know that I'm trying to get a meal ready for you? Don't you care? Now, I just want you to imagine that if Mary and, and Martha and Lazarus lived somewhere on Whispering Pines and, and uh, Jesus found his way to their house and and they're trying to get everything ready. They're real excited. You know, Jesus, you know, followed the nav, got to Whispering Pines and found the house, got in the driveway, got in the door. She's welcoming. She's back in the kitchen. You know, this is not one of those open concepts from Fixer Upper. This is a, you know, there's a kitchen closed off with a wall. And so we're going to knock this wall out. We're going to build an island, you know. 
I know y'all watch that show. Don't look at me like you do not watch that show. Uh, I'm going to wait for Joanna to build one kitchen without an island. Then I'm going to know we're going to have a revival. Uh, so, you know, she's welcoming her and everything else. And, and so Martha is so ticked off, she sends an email to the Dr. Phil show. And she says, my family is a mess. My sister won't listen to anything that's going on. So Dr. Phil invites Jesus and Martha and Mary to the Dr. Phil show. And so Dr. Phil gets on and he's sitting down in the chair. And he says, today we're going to have two sisters that can't seem to get along. And they had a guest that one of them blew up in front of them. Martha, tell us what's going on here. She said, i tell you what's going on. The problem is her and him. And Dr. Phil would have said, how's that working for you? <laughs> Blaming the Lord for what's going on. She was upset with her sister. She was upset with the Lord. And if we are honest, there are times we get upset with the Lord. And so when we get upset with the Lord, we, we quit church, we quit praying, we quit reading our Bible because we think, I'm going to just sit here until the Lord shows up. Well, he's not going to show up under those terms. He goes where he's invited. He goes where he's wanted. But not only that, she's upset with herself. Look at, look at verse 40. She's bothered. She's distracted. The word means to be drawn away. She's frustrated. She's conflicted. She's been so focused on cooking that she's missed the fact that Christ is in her home. She's worried, she's drawn out, she's ticked off. The word can mean she's thrown into an uproar. She's troubled, but it also implies that she is so troubled that she wants everybody else to know she's troubled. Ever met people like that? If I'm going to be upset, I'm going to make everybody upset. If I'm going to be mad, I want everybody to know I'm mad. So we get on Instagram, we get on Snapchat, we get on Twitter, we get on our Facebook page. I'm mad. So that all our friends will post praying. <laughs> or the real friends go, I don't know what the issue is, but I'm certainly praying for you. Call me if you need me. She's bothered. She's ticked off. She's upset. And guess what? Everybody in the house knew it. And because they didn't have windows and doors, everybody outside knew it too. Can you imagine people walking down the street, minding their own business, just going by, well, there's Mary and Martha. I, well, I hear Jesus over at their house today. Lord, my sister will not do what I tell. Boy, Martha is in a mood today. Holy cow, what is wrong with Martha today? She's upset. She's bothered by all this. And can I tell you something? We all get that way. We get busy. We get preoccupied. We get overwhelmed. And then what? before we know it, we're saying things that we don't need to say. And we're thinking things that we don't need to think. And we're talking to people in ways that we don't need to talk to people. Because we've lost balance in our lives. And so the Lord is not primary. We don't treat the Lord with respect. Here's the thing I know. It is easy for our lives to get out of order. 
It is easy to make the secondary primary. It is easy to make that which is insignificant overly significant. It is easy to get concerned about things that you can't change and you can't fix. That you just have to trust to the Lord. It's hard. I know it's hard. We live in a busy world. It's hard to be still and know that He is God. Well, let's look at the master's perspective on all this. Jesus gives a clear and concise solution in verses 41 and 42. And, and notice he doesn't get in a yelling match. He just says, Martha, Martha. Not, I just, when I read the Bible, especially the Gospels, I, I try to use my sanctified imagination a little bit. And, and I, you know, they were reclining. They didn't sit in chairs like we sit in chairs. They, they reclined, and I, I can just see Jesus going, Oh, Martha, Martha. Oh, here we go again. I've known this family for three years. I've talked to them about, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. They've heard me teach about abide in me and I in you, and apart from me you can do nothing. They've heard me say, my peace I give to you. Not peace like the world gives, but my peace I give to you. And here's Martha. She's not learned one thing. I have to keep reminding her about what's important. He doesn't yell at her. He just calls her name. I don't know about you, but I remember when my name was called twice or if my middle name was used with my first name, it was a come to Jesus meeting. And typically Jesus wasn't in the room, but my dad was there and he was like God with a paddle. Martha, Martha, don't you get it? Martha, don't you understand? I'm not going to be here much longer on this earth. Don't, don't you understand? You've been distracted by so many things. By the way, that's a, that's a household word for household chores and for cleaning the kitchen. It, Jesus is saying, you don't understand what's important. What's important is not your fried chicken, although you make the best fried chicken in Bethany. And it's not your apple pie, although your apple pie is the best apple pie between here and downtown Jerusalem. That's not what's important. You see, Jesus will survive if Martha doesn't feed him. But Martha is not going to survive if Jesus doesn't feed her. Now, here was the problem with Martha's thinking and the difference between Martha's thinking and Mary's thinking. Martha thinks, I can help him. I can help Jesus. I can do something. You know, Jesus needs me, and I can help Jesus. Mary thinks, he can help me. You see, God doesn't need our help. He wants us. 
our serving and everything we do is out of the overflow of our intimate relationship with Christ. It's not trying harder, doing better, turning over a new leaf. I can help him. Lord, I tell you what, you better be glad you got me. Because there are a lot of people out there, I would, if I was you, I wouldn't depend on them because they're not trustworthy. I'm, you better be glad you got me. I, you know, I thought about it one day when I was in college. God has survived without all the original apostles for 2,000 years. The church is growing in China under persecution. The church is exploding in India under persecution. We think that God needs us. He doesn't need us. He wants fellowship with us. He wants a relationship with us. Martha's got this idea, oh, I can help him. I tell you what, when he leaves my house, he's not going to stop by the Dairy Queen and get an ice cream cone because he's going to be as full as he can be. Mary's thinking, I don't know how many more times I'm going to get to be with Jesus, but when he's here, I'm going to be right there with him. So Jesus didn't rebuke her for being busy. He rebuked her for not doing what he came there to do, and that was to spend time with her. But Martha didn't think she had time in her planned out prearranged schedule to sit down and listen to the words of Jesus coming out of his mouth. Alan Redpath talked about the barrenness of a busy life. Here's what we need to remember and here's what we need to understand. And this is kind of a hook to hang on here. You can't serve God out of an undernourished life. You'll wear yourself out. You'll get tired, you'll get weary, you'll get resentful that other people aren't doing what you're doing, and you'll start to focus on yourself. You and I cannot serve God out of an undernourished life. He has to feed us before we can feed others. So what's the prescription? The master gives a prescription in verse 39. Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. That sounds real simple. We wish there was a book at Lifeway that we could go buy, 27 ways to have a closer walk with Jesus. We like formulas, we like systems, we like fill in the blanks, we like points. Jesus said, it's just her sitting at my feet. Now this is a phenomenal moment. This breaks down all the, the distinctions of men and women in the eyes of the world. Because women were treated as less than dogs in that society. Rabbis would never let a woman sit at their feet. And rabbis would never let a woman be one of their followers or a disciple. And Jesus was called a rabbi. But what Jesus is saying, I'm a different kind of rabbi. I'm not just a religious teacher, I'm God in flesh. And in my presence, all are invited to come and get to know me. Amen. Men and women and boys and girls, all can come and sit at my feet and get to know me. It is at the feet of Jesus that we discover how much he loves us and how much he cares for us. And so Jesus says, seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Now remember, the rabbis focused on works. They, they kept making up laws. They were like Congress. You know, you had to become a rabbi to, to read the laws that they had passed. 
I mean, they, they had law after law after law, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of laws that they had added to the ten. Nobody ever said to a rabbi, look, we can't even keep the ten. We don't need any other. Listen, we can't keep the ten today. And so the rabbis always focus on doing, 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 doing. And Jesus focused on done. They focused, focused on works and Jesus focused on grace. They focused on be better, try harder. Jesus said, you can't do it, I'm going to do it for you. You can't save yourself, you can't get yourself cleaned up, you can't fix yourself, I'm going to do it for you. And so Jesus is this new rabbi and the priority was to teach, not to eat. And so when, when you look at the order in which Jesus deals with this in Luke chapter 10, you see that when you focus on the first commandment, loving God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, when you focus on the first and you love God the way you're supposed to love God, then you love your neighbor the way you're supposed to love your neighbor. That the power for loving our neighbor comes from loving our God. I can't love my neighbor the way I should in my own strength. But if I love him out of the strength that God has given me, I can love my neighbor like nobody else. So, here's Mary. She's chosen the best part. It's a culinary term. It means the choice morsel or the prime cut of meat. Here's, here's how we've messed up our thinking in the church today. We think if I serve, I'll be more spiritual. The reality is if I sit and listen to Jesus, my serving will be more effective. It's not if I serve, I'll be more spiritual. If I sit and listen to God, then my serving is more effective. You see, I sit and learn so I can serve and lead. You see, that's why people get tired of serving. Because they're trying to serve in the energy of their flesh. I mean, you can only, be, you can only smile so long as a greeter in your flesh. And then after that, you're just kind of going, room's in there, go find a seat. You teach your Sunday school class, they never tell you it's a great Sunday school lesson. I mean, you've poured into it, you've prayed over it, you believe that God gave you a word, and they just walk out. Now, these people don't appreciate me. I hope you appreciate that I'm serving in this church. Wrong attitude, wrong method, wrong motive. Lord, because of what you've done for me and because of what you've taught me out of your word and because of what you've put into my heart, it is my privilege to serve you and your people. That's where the change takes place. The power comes in keeping the first commandment so that the second commandment becomes a natural overflow. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time you spent time alone with God? When's the last time you spent time alone with God? When's the last time you sat down and looked at His Word and studied His Word? Verse 42, what she has taken shall not be taken away from her. The Bible says today if you hear His voice... Do not harden your heart. What secondary things have become primary? 
Well, we've just finished vacation. Seems like vacations get shorter, don't they? I mean, I remember when we used to get out of school and we had three months off. Now we just we get out of school and we go right back to school. And so you get busy and you're sitting there trying to plug in and you're all frantic and stressed out. And you, we got to get vacation in. We're going to have fun. Bless God. Get in the car. How many more miles, Dad? Don't ask me questions. We're going on vacation. Having fun. The kids are going, I'd like a vacation from my mom and dad right now. And mom and dad are saying, I'd like a vacation from these kids right now. And we've run all over the place. We've taken our pictures, posted them on Instagram. We were at the beach. We were at the lake. We are we're in the park. We were at the, at the zoo. We were here. We were there. We are everywhere. We've gone everywhere, all over the place. And now school starts, and guess what? We're still running. We're still running. Now we've got to get the kids, get up! You're not going to be tardy like you were last year. This car is leaving the driveway 35 minutes before school starts, whether you're in it or not. Oh, yeah, right. Sure, Dad. Yeah, let's go with that, Dad. Let's see how that works. We got to go. We got to get to school. We got to get to practice. We got to go here. We got to go there. I mean, we are masters. Everybody in this room has a PhD in busy. We're masters at being busy. But are we doing the best? Or are we just spinning our wheels and burning up gas and frustrated because we've not sat down and had time alone with the Lord? You see, if, if you and I don't spend time alone with the Lord, we're going to be just as frustrated, just as busy, and just as stressed out to this day next year as we are right now. Nothing's going to change. But in a prayer environment and in an environment of intimacy and fellowship with Jesus, we start learning there's some things we don't have to do. You say, well, if I spent time with Jesus, I might not find out what's going on on Good Morning America. It's the same thing that went on last week on Good Morning America. Well, if... if if I come home from work and from school and I go into my room and spend some time with Jesus, I, I, I might not know what the news alert is. It's going to be a news alert in the next hour too. Well, if, if, if I spend time with Jesus, I might not get to watch Jimmy Kimmel. He's got the same jokes he had last year. Well, I might have to put my cell phone down and, and actually spend some time with the Lord. It won't hurt you. Amen. You know, we don't build idols anymore. We just carry them in our hands. And you think and evaluate. I'll just give you a challenge this week. Evaluate how much time you have spent on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter compared to how much time you spent alone with Jesus this week. And I promise you, your social media time far outweighs your time with Jesus. And there's nothing on social media that's going to get you into heaven. Come on, or give you joy in your life. This is how shallow our lives have become. Oh, I got four likes on my post. I have 
87 friends on Facebook. Hey, just say something they don't agree with. They'll unfriend you. But you got a friend in Jesus that won't leave you and won't forsake you. And when you can't serve anymore, and when you can't go anymore, and when you can't do anymore, Jesus is still going to be there. He's waiting for us. He longs for us to have fellowship with Him, to spend time with Him. He's looking for you to look for Him. So if Jesus showed up at your house, and he does because he lives inside of you, are you going to say, hey, go sit in the living room. We don't use that very much, and I'll get back to you when I can. Are you glad that he's there? Do you rejoice that you, with all the stuff in your life, that you, get to talk directly to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You want to get your life straightened out? It's not by buying another program or going to another seminar. You get your life straightened out at the feet of Jesus. What she has chosen will not be taken away from her. You realize that nobody knows what meal Martha cooked, but everybody knows that Mary heard something at the feet of Jesus that she took with her to eternity. What you learn at the feet of Jesus, you never lose. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I want to beg you and implore you to come to the one who promises life and life abundantly who can take away the shame and the guilt and the fear and the anxiety and the burdens of your life. And you can roll them onto him because he died so that you could have a life, an abundant life, for him to save you from your sin. So when we stand in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and find one of these men and tell them that you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, that you need to follow Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. But here's the second invitation. All of us need to stop the busyness. We are distracted by so many things, too many things. And we need to get back to the best part, time with Jesus. And so before you get headlong into this school year, and into all the activities of the fall, before you just busy yourself out, I want to invite you to just come to this altar and lay your calendar before the Lord. And say, Lord, you're going to have first place on my calendar. Time with you is more important than time with anybody else. That's first and foremost. Because out of that, I know how to love my neighbor. I know how to love my family. I know how to love my children. I know how to love the people that I don't even like. I know how to love them out of time with you. So I want to invite you to stand, to come to Christ today as your personal Lord and Savior, or just to come to this altar and say, Lord, I need at this altar to give you my calendar, my schedule, my agenda, and to lay it down before you and ask you to redeem the times of my life in such a way